The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Thanks for joining us. As we are winding down the summer season, like Michael said, school starts up in a couple of weeks for most people, but I just tell you that Kathy and I had a fantastic summer. I told y'all last time in June, I think, uh, that uh, we had a grandchild, our fourth grandchild, that we were expecting any day. Well, he came on June 29th, little George Donald. I happen to have a picture of him for y'all. I knew you would ask, so uh, there's George Donald. I think he's coming. Well, he'll come up in a minute. There he is. Oh, I know, right? It's the cutest baby you've ever seen. So anyway, that was cool. He was born down in San Antonio. We got to be there for his birth. We got to um, go back last weekend and just check in on him. We ended up staying a little longer on the weekend because it was our 39th wedding anniversary that we stayed to celebrate. Well, thanks. Yeah, Kathy deserves the praise for that, for sure, for sticking with me. Um, And I happen to have a picture from our wedding day, too. Again, not relevant to the message, but I just thought I would put it up there. Um, I think that was the day after I got my braces off. I look kind of young there. And, um, but what you might know, not know from that picture, you can't tell. And what I certainly didn't know when that picture was taken, that this beautiful, young, bright-eyed, innocent-looking woman actually had a warrant out for her arrest. <laughs> and I'll tell you how I found that out. Uh, all through our engagement, she was so excited about taking on my last name, which, you know, I get, right? She's getting some of this, so that makes kind of sense. But there was actually a more legitimate reason for it. Um, if you grew up in the 60s, like I did, uh, there was a sitcom that was out called Green Acres. And uh, it was about a New York uppity couple that sold their penthouse apartment and went out to Hooterville. And they uh, bought a little farmhouse and they had some next door neighbors named Fred and Doris Ziffel. Now the Ziffels had a pet and it was a unique pet. Does anybody know the Ziffel's pet? I mean, Arnold, yeah. Yes, Arnold the pig. That's what I was getting at. Yes, Arnold the pig. Well, my wife's maiden name was Arnold. Kathy Arnold. So the Ziffels have this pet, and he's very popular. I did a little research on this. Um, He got thousands of fan mail letters every year. Uh, He was the only actor in the show to actually have won an award for his acting, which tells you a little bit about the rest of the actors in the show. Uh, He made $250 a day for his appearance, which in today's money equals about $100,000 a year. So this pig was a big deal, right? This pig knew how to bring home the bacon. Okay, I knew, that was for Nat Pugh. Um, But uh, imagine being a middle school girl in the 60s with this last name. And so even at the age of 21, when we got married, Kathy was so excited to shed that name and move on into her new identity. And so we went on our honeymoon, we got back, our marriage license came in the mail. And as soon as it came in, she said, okay, we are heading to the DMV. I'm ready to get my new driver's license. I'm ready to take on my new identity. So we go to the DMV, as you might expect, long lines. We finally get up to the counter. We are met by a very um, intimidating Uh, didn't look like they were very happy to be there, female police officer. I knew this was somebody we didn't want to mess with. And so Kathy gives her her paperwork and she starts typing away and she looks over and she says, "Uh, Miss Arnold, you have a warrant out for your arrest. 
And Kathy says, huh? And I was like, what? What have I just gotten myself into, right? Who have I, is this why you wanted to take on my last name so that you could hide out from the cops? What, officer, what has this lady done? And she said, well, she has a couple of speeding tickets that are outstanding that were not paid. And Kathy kind of starts laughing and in her Southern drawl, if you know her at all, she says, oh, officer, my daddy takes care of all my tickets. And the officer, not amused at all, leaned in and said, ma'am, your daddy did not take care of these tickets and there is a warrant out for your arrest. And so Kathy kind of grabs her hands and starts rubbing the top of them and says, officer, could you keep your voice down? There's people behind me and this is kind of embarrassing, but don't worry, we'll go get the money, we'll take care of this. So the officer took her hand and started rubbing the top of it and said, darling, you're not going anywhere. Do you know what it means to have a warrant out for your arrest? You will go sit right there where I can keep a watch on you until this debt is paid. Your, your husband can go get the money, but you are not going anywhere. See, we walked into the DMV that day thinking, my wife thinking she's gonna take on her new identity, right? Kathy Pierce, the old has gone, the new has come. And yet we were met with some resistance, some obstacles that had to be overcome. And just to give you some closure, we did overcome the obstacle. Tears began to well up in her eyes and I knew as her new husband, I had a decision to make, right? I could go and get the money and come back and spring my wife from the big house or I could walk out that door never to return. So just so you know, there was no way this Clyde was gonna leave his Bonnie behind. So I came back with the bail and she took on her new identity. Well, we're in the third week of our series that's called Identity, where we're looking at what it means to live out the new life, the identity that God gives us when we surrender our lives to Jesus. And it's why Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus wants us to live into our new identity as a child of God, chosen, accepted, beloved, forgiven, saved, set free, all those things we just sang, sang about. Unfortunately, sometimes that's easier said than done because oftentimes we run into obstacles and we run into resistance and opposition, namely because we have an enemy, right, that scripture says has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he does not want you living into your new identity. He wants you to look to other things. He wants you to look to things of this world. He wants you to look to lesser things to define yourself by. Things like your accomplishments that Jared talked about two weeks ago. Things like your work, like Andy talked about last week. Things uh, today, though, we're, gonna, we're going to focus in on one thing that I think is probably one of the most harmful, subtle, insidious strategies that he uses to keep us from living into our true identity as a child of God. And that is the tendency that many of us have to look to other people to define us instead of to God. Proverbs 29, 25 says it this way. It is a dangerous trap to be concerned with what others think of you. But if you trust in the Lord, you are safe. It is a trap, scripture says. This is a snare. And yet we get so easily caught up in this trap, don't we? I get so easily caught up in this trap to start filtering my actions and my decisions through the eyes of other people. What will they say about me? What will they think about me? And so we become prisoners of other people's opinions. It's a trap. Now, what are some of the indicators that you've fallen into this trap, that you've fallen into the trap of FOWAT? That's the uh, acronym I'm using for fear of what others think. 
FOA. You like that acronym? Because I worked hard on it. I hope you like it. You know what? I don't care if you like it because that's what I'm trying to work on here, right? doesn't even matter. But here's some indicators. Number one, you agree even when you disagree. You just go along to get along, but you end up resenting it later. Does that sound familiar to any of you? You start acting like the people around you is another one. You're basically a chameleon who changes what you say, how you believe based on who else is in the room. Number three, you take blame when it's not even yours to take. You end up apologizing way too much. Like if someone's having a rough day and you've been around them, you go home and start ruminating over that. I wonder what I did to offend them. I wonder why they're upset with me. It always comes back to you. Another indicator is it's hard for you to say no to people. And you can tell by your schedule because it is so jam-packed, there is no way you could do everything that's on your calendar, but it's because you haven't wanted to disappoint people. So you've said yes to everything. And another indicator is you need everyone to like you, even the people that you don't like. Now, those are just a few among many, right, that convey this reality. And I think we all struggle with it to one degree or another. It was interesting, about a decade ago, a study was done on what causes home field advantage in the sports area. And Sports Illustrated ended up writing an article on this, um, and they concluded that home field advantage exists across all sports at all levels. But why? Well, we all have our own theories about why we think that is, right? But I want to show you what they found. They, They said actual evidence disputes most of the common theories. For instance, thousands of cheering fans, thousands of jeering fans do not typically affect the performance of people in sports. Uh, on a number of performance statistics like pitch velocity in baseball or free throw percentage in basketball. Didn't seem to make much difference between the response of the crowd. They also eliminated other theories like how the rigors of travel can wear you out or uh, familiarity with the field can change how you perform. But you know what they found? According to the authors of that article, officials' bias is the most significant contribution to home field advantage. In short, they said, refs don't like to be booed. They want to be liked. So as the game gets close, they tend to call fewer fouls or penalties against the home team. They said it this way, the refs naturally and often subconsciously respond to the pressures from the crowd, trying to please them and lessen the pain of crowd disapproval. So the article concluded, in the end, it's the ref's people-pleasing response that seems to have the biggest impact on home field advantage. See, we all struggle with it to one degree or another, and sometimes in seasons, some seasons more than others, wanting to make people happy, fear of what other people might think, wanting to lessen the pain of crowd disapproval. And Jesus wants to set us free from that. And one of the ways he does that is by giving us a brand new identity, by giving us a fresh start. And so when our identity is in Jesus, when our identity is firmly rooted rooted as sons and daughters of God, then what other people think becomes less and less relevant, right? Because what other people say is outshadowed by what God has already said of me. And Paul was a man who understood this. He understood that, that not everyone liked him. And he seemed to kind of be okay with that because I think he understood there was a lot more at stake than winning some popularity contest. And one of the places that he talks about this connection with our identity and this tendency to want to please other people is in his letter to the Corinthian church. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians this morning. If you have your Bible or device, you can start turning there. 
But just some quick background to this letter. Paul has gotten a bad report on the church here. It says in chapter one that it came from Chloe's house. Now, if I'm Chloe, I'm a little bit ticked with Paul, right? Because that was supposed to just be between us, Paul. I was kind of telling you some backstory of what's happening here. And, and now you've put my name out there for everybody to read for all of eternity. Thanks a lot, Paul. But the report comes and there's division in the church over which leader, which speaker that they kind of, they've kind of broken into factions over who they want to lead them. And some are saying, no, Paul's my guy. He started this whole thing. I'm going with Paul. And others are saying, no, Apollos, he's the best speaker. He's, I, I want to hear Apollos. And some are saying, no, I want to hear Cephas. I mean, it'd be like in, in this church, some of you saying, you know, Barry's the senior pastor. I want to hear, hear Barry. He's on sabbatical. I'll just stay on sabbatical until he gets back. Or others are saying, no, Sissy is, is my girl, right? She really brings the message home. And if she's not speaking, I'm just going to sit out in cuppa until she finishes. Or, or Jared or a Andy. And it becomes this celebrity culture, right? Where nobody's coming to see Jesus anymore. They're coming to see their favorite person. And what Paul is trying to teach us is that when our identity is in things of this world, when our identity is in embedded in lesser things than what Jesus has for us, division is going to follow. And we see it all the time in our day, don't we? Divisions along politics and socioeconomic levels and ethnicity and skin color. And it's not just out there in the world. It's actually in here in the church too. And Paul is saying, look guys, you have a new identity. Your primary identity is now who you are in Jesus. We are one people and so if you have the blood of Jesus in you, then you share more in common with the person sitting next to you who voted for the other guy. You share more in common with the person in front of you who has a different skin color than you, than, than you do with the person who looks like you and thinks like you. Because if we share Jesus, then we share everything that matters. There's division, Paul says, because you have settled for a lesser identity. And so it brings us to our text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those who have been entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now think of all the ways that Paul could have introduced himself. He could have said, I am Paul the Pharisee. That would have been so impressive in that day. He could have talked about the school that he went to. He could have talked about his family background. But instead, he just very simply says, hey, I'm a servant of Christ. I've been entrusted with the mystery of God. This is who he is now. And he goes on in verse two and he says, now it is required that those who've been given this trust must prove faithful. And I think at this point, he's already anticipating the naysayers in the crowd, right? Those ones who are his critics, those ones who are gonna say, well, I mean, Paul, what do you mean by faithful? I'm not sure you're faithful the way we would describe faithful. And so he just addresses it head on. I love what he says here in verse three. He says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. I like the way Eugene Peterson words this in the message. He says, it matters very little to me what you think of me, even less where I rank in popular opinion. 
So this is gonna be a real simple message this morning. I'm just gonna focus in on the two strategies that I think Paul points out, the two solutions of how we break free from this tendency we all have to wanna please other people. And the first one is just simply this. I have to minimize my focus on what other people think of me. I have to minimize my focus on what other people think of me. Notice what he says. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He's learned to minimize the critique of other people. It's a very small thing, he says. And for Paul, remember who he's writing to here. He's writing to other believers. This is the church people he's writing to. And let's be honest, sometimes the harshest critics, the most judgmental people we know are people who are in the church. And guys, that shouldn't be so. We have to be people of truth, absolutely. We are a Bible church, but we're also people of grace and mercy and love. And so we live in this world, and that means we're gonna be surrounded by friends and coworkers and neighbors who are on the other end of the political spectrum. We have friends who live by a different sexual ethic. We have coworkers who don't adhere to our biblical moral code. We have neighbors who have a different faith, maybe no faith at all. And let me just say this, if you are not the most loving people that those people know, that's a fail. That is a huge fail because we are not in charge of legislating morality. We are in charge of proclaiming a savior who sets people free. And so it's okay to, to speak truth as long as it's done in love, recognizing that we're all on a journey we all have a past. We've all messed up. And so I'm certainly not apologizing for the Bible in any way, but as my wife says to me so often, tone, Craig, tone, come on, watch your tone. Because I don't want to end up one of those angry, bitter old men who aren't tenderized by the love of God, who isn't still touched by the spirit of God. And this is part of what Paul was facing here. But I love his reaction. He just says, you know what? It's a very small thing. But I want you to notice he doesn't say it's not a thing. He doesn't say it's not a thing at all, that this is, I, there's zero care for what other people think of me. Because let me tell you, if you're a person that has zero care for what other people think of you, there's a word for that. It's a narcissist. And at its worst, you become a sociopath. These are the people who blow up buildings. It's okay to want the approval of other people. There's nothing wrong with wanting to please your parents or to please your spouse or to be liked by your friends. I'd even say it's probably a legitimate need in your life. You just don't want it to dominate your life. The Bible actually talks about pleasing other people in the sense that we are to be considerate of others, right? We don't live just for ourselves. But like all of God's good gifts, what is a good thing in your life, a legitimate need can be misused and eventually become, can become an ultimate thing in your life. So it's not not a thing, it's just a very small thing. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons I think we need to minimize our focus on what other people think. And the first one is just simply this, because people all want different things from you. You will never please everybody, it's impossible. Even God won't end up pleasing everyone because right now there's people who are praying for rain today and there's people who are praying for sunshine. And by the end of this day, half of you are gonna be disappointed. Some of you are probably praying that I'll show more pictures of my grandson. And then others of you are praying that I'll show pictures of all my grandchildren. And I, I don't have time for it, right? Why would I try to do something that even God doesn't do? Now, could he? Of course he could. He's God. But that is not his concern. I like what Jesus says in John. He says, your approval or disapproval means nothing to me. 
Because he knows trying to live for the praise of other people will only lead you into a lifetime of frustration. There will always be people who will disapprove of you. Just accept it. Some of you are 50 or 60 years old and you're still trying to get the approval of somebody. If you haven't gotten it by now, let me just say you're probably not going to get it. Let it go. My guess is it's not about you anyway. There's just some people who are unpleasable. It's their problem, not yours. See, people are, all gonna, people are gonna want all sorts of different things from you. But the second reason we need to minimize it is because oftentimes people want wrong things from you. And when I try to please everyone, I will inevitably give in to peer pressure. Exodus 23, two says this, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. And we see example after example of this in scripture, don't we? We see Peter who denied Jesus three times because he didn't wanna disappoint the crowd. We see Pilate who, com- who confessed, hey, I find no fault in this man, Jesus, but he sent him off to his death because he didn't wanna disappoint the crowd. We see Joseph's brothers, there's 11 brothers. You're telling me one of them didn't have a little prick in his conscience of maybe this isn't a good idea to sell our brother off into slavery. And yet nobody spoke up. 12 spies go into the promised land. 10 of them are able to convince an entire nation to trust them rather than trust God. And then King Saul takes over the nation and God tells him, I want you to get rid of all the idolaters in the land. And he doesn't do it. And you know why? He later confesses to the prophet Samuel. He says, I've sinned. I've trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. I cared more about people pleasing. So I let them tell me what to do. High schoolers, let me just say this. Most of my biggest regrets from high school are because I gave in to peer pressure, wanting to fit in, wanting to please people around me. And looking back now, I think, what was I thinking? If I could say one thing to my high school self, it would be this. All those people you think you have to please in order to be cool, in order to fit in, you're not even gonna know their names in five years. And when you go back to a high school reunion 20 years from now, you're gonna think, wait a minute, I was trying to please you? I was trying to please them? Why did I care what they thought? Most of them peaked in 12th grade, right? (laughs) They're still talking about the catch they made or the homecoming crown they wore. Who cares? Are you kidding me? I think about Demi Lovato, this local girl who we know who made it big out in Hollywood, Disney Channel star, and then goes on to forge this very successful music career. Such a talented young lady. She hits the top of the charts with songs like What's Wrong With Being Confident, and she just exudes this confidence, right? And, and then um, it all kind of crashes. The drugs, the addiction, the rehab. And you wonder, what happened here? I want you to listen to the lyrics of a song that she co-wrote in 2021, just two years ago with Sam Fisher. The words are this, I thought when I grew up, I would be the same as the ones who gave me my last name. I would not give in. I would not partake in the same old drugs everyone else takes. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I'm living my life so I go to heaven and never come back. But look where I'm at. Look where I'm at. I'm living the life that I said I wouldn't. I wanna go back. I used to call my mom every Sunday so she knew her love wasn't far away, but, but now I'm all messed up out in LA because I care more about what other people say. I used to take chances with God's name. I used to not take chances with God's name, but now it's been so long since I prayed and now I'm all messed up and my heart's changed because I care more about what other people say. She said in an interview about that song that, that those lyrics bring her to tears. 
that she resonates so much with him because it's a reflection to her on what it looks like to lose who you truly are in an effort to please other people in society. Sam Fisher would say, this song for me is a confession, realizing how far away you can get from who you are in an effort just to be liked. It's about the pressures of society and how getting caught up with the wrong things can change you. And don't we all, doesn't that resonate with all of us? Haven't we seen areas and places in our lives where we've changed just to kind of get along? Which leads me to the third reason we minimize our focus on what other people think. Because if you don't, you will end up missing God's purpose for your life. Paul recognized this in Galatians when he said, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Because you cannot be worried about what everyone else thinks and focus in on what God thinks and what he's created you to be at the same time. Paul would later write in 1 Thessalonians, our purpose is to please God, not people. And that's your purpose in life. You do not want to miss out on that. You are here to carry the good news of Jesus to the people in your workplace, to the people in your neighborhood, to the people who don't know him. And when you're overly concerned with what they think, nine times out of 10, you're just going to stay quiet about it. It's what happened back in Jesus' day when John records this. Many Jewish authorities believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not talk about it openly so as not to be expelled from the synagogue. And then here's the kicker. They loved human approval more than the approval of God. Let me just ask this. Are there people in your life right now who are not hearing about Jesus because of your fear? I'm embarrassed to say for myself, the answer would probably be yes. We have to minimize our focus on what other people think. In Paul's words, it is a very small thing. I suggest you memorize those five words and just have them on repeat in your brain. It's a very small thing. Just say it to your neighbor real quick. It's a very small thing. Right, imagine how this might work after work when you, you drive home, right? And you've, you've been all day with a difficult, demanding, never satisfied boss before you bring that anger and frustration into your home. What if you just paused in the driveway and said to yourself, it's a very small thing. Or perhaps you're a stay-at-home parent and you've been dealing all day with a difficult, demanding, never satisfied toddler. Before you lash out at them or lash out at your spouse, what if you just stepped into the other room and whispered, it's a very small thing. You can even put it to music if you want to. I've worked on this a little bit. It's a small thing after all. So there, there you go. Uh, We minimize what other people think. And the second part is just the logical next step. We have to maximize our focus on what God thinks of us. Because as God gets bigger, people will by default become smaller. It's why Paul says, it's the Lord who judges me. Then each one will receive his his commendation from God. Because what he knows is a day is coming when every one of us will stand before Jesus and give an account of our lives. And just keeping that in mind ought to help you maximize what God thinks of you. It ought to change what you do, the words that you speak, the things that you do, the actions that you take. Your day of reckoning is already on the heavenly calendar and you will give an answer for your life. Psychologist and author Henry Cloud says picturing that day is what keeps him from succumbing to the pressures of other people every day. And here's how he envisions this going. I love this. He says, God's going to say, so why didn't you take the opportunity that I offered you? And he says, you're going to say, well, I really wanted to, and I knew it was your will for my life, but you know how upset she would have gotten if I did. It would have been awful. 
And God says, you're right. She would have gone through the roof, would have been up so upset with you. And I have a meeting with her later in exactly three years, two months, six days, seven hours and 33 minutes. And at that time, I'll be talking to her about her tendency to get mad at people when she wasn't pleased. I'll take care of that issue. But this is your life, not hers. You're responsible for your own choices. You're responsible for your own decisions. And she's responsible for hers. That will be her problem. But the fact that you chose to give in to that is your problem. And now I want to show you the life that you gave up by living the life that other people wanted from you. Watch that screen over there. And he ends by saying, then you will see what could have been if only you had not tried to live your life to please others instead of first pleasing God. Because only God knows you fully. Only God loves you unconditionally. Only God wants what's best for you. You have been given a brand new identity. You are chosen. You are a child of God. You are beloved. You are forgiven. You are accepted. Why? To set you free. Set you free from the bondage of other people's opinions. Paul says it this way. Christ has set us free to live a free life. That's what he wants for you more than anything. For you to live free from the judgment and the criticism and the opinions of other people. And yet we have this accuser who leans in and whispers, darling, you're not going anywhere. I want you to sit right over there under my watch. Because you remember what you've done. You remember what you said. You know what other people would think of you? If they knew that, you owe me a debt. So you will stay there. And Jesus had a decision to make. He could have walked out that door and never turned around, but he didn't. He turned back around to pay the debt. He was willing to go to a cross to pay your debt. As Romans 5 says it, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And you didn't have to do anything and you didn't have to prove anything. And now, based on what he did, you have been set free. This is the gospel. And because of that, you only have to please one person. You can live your life for an audience of one, your creator, the lover of your soul, your savior, your Lord. And I'll just tell you this, that will simplify your life enormously. Christ has set us free to live a free life my prayer is that we will all step out of here today and live into the life that he has for us. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.